0: Good evening, everyone. This is Rich Duncan, and tonight I'm being joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keane. and tonight we're going to be talking with Max Booth III. Um, he's the author of books like Carnivorous Lunar Activities, The Nightly Disease, The Mind is a Razor Blade. He also runs Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, and they've released anthologies like Tales from the Crust, Lost Films, Lost Signals. Um, so, Max, we're happy to have you here with us tonight, and uh, we just wanted to know how you're
1: doing.
2: How I'm doing? Well, thank you for having me on, Rich. Hannah. And also, Ch- Shane. Shane, you, did you disappear from us?
1: Oh, no, I'm here. I'm oh, here. Okay. I'm, I'm just I'm just uh, uncharacteristically silent right this second.
2: Oh, <laughs> playing the moody type. Okay. Uh, I'm good, uh... As I was just telling you a few minutes ago, uh, today I got sprayed in the face by a hose. So uh, that was fun. I went to get my vehicle washed and I was waiting for the machine to shoot out my receipt and it would not shoot it out. And the machine kept shouting, proceed, proceed, proceed. So I said, oh, well, fine, I guess I I don't need a receipt. So I gunned it into the giant behemoth mouth that is... A washing machine, a call wash, and uh, I realized too late that I did not roll my window up, and a hose just drenched me.
1: Proceeded I, a little bit too fast, and I was just <laughs> drenched.
2: But uh, thankfully, yeah. I live in Texas, so by the time I made it back home, I was bone dry.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I I was gonna ask you when that thing shot in there. Like I didn't. I would assume it was quite a bit of water. <laughs>
2: Yeah, (laughs) my dash build was a puddle, but oh well. Clean, clean though. (laughs) At least it wasn't soap. I can imagine that would have stung quite a bit.
1: Yeah, at least if you have to get sprayed in the face by something, it's better if it's a hose and not a skunk.
2: Yeah, can you imagine finding out that's the one fetish you have? It would suck.
0: Oh,
1: God.
2: I mean, how would you live your life? I mean, you would have to just round up skunks. I guess you could just get one skunk. How many sprays is a skunk good for before they have to, like, recharge?
0: (laughs) That's a good question.
2: Yeah, Um, do you have to get replacement skunks every now and then? Do you think, like, you can get one on Amazon Prime?
0: Oh, yeah. You can get anything on Amazon Prime.
2: (laughs) So... I guess the question is Do you buy a new skunk or do you buy a new uh, spray that you inject into the skunk? How does this bulk?
1: Yeah, I would think you'd just need to pump the sack back up. Well, that's going to be <laughs> <fucking> nasty now. <laughs> that's
2: a good life advice for well, many things,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, so, Max, well, we like to start every episode by asking our guests. To give a kind of new prisoner on the cell block speech, you know, kind of who you are, what you do. Obviously, you're a writer, but, you know, what kind of books you write and stuff like that.
2: Okay, now, am I trying to intimidate someone?
0: Um, <laughs> Any, yeah. Anything you're comfortable with. Oh, <laughs> Specifically God. trying
1: to intimidate John Foster.
2: Oh, Okay, well, I've published John uh, many times. So yeah. to in, to intimidate him, I guess I would say, well, John, as you know, I've been publishing books since 2012 under the name Perpetual Motion Machine. I published uh, your debut novel, John Deadman. I loved it quite a bit. I even published the sequel, Night Roads. I did a collection you did called a. Uh, baby pedal and that little tillifying substances and if you do not begin giving me one pack of cigarettes a week i'm going to just remove them from amazon and nobody's going to buy them because the sad (laughs) truth is john in this day and age you can't sell a book unless it's on amazon because these people they they get comfortable and they only buy off of amazon and Life is a monopoly, John. So I need the cigarettes, okay, man. So if you want these books to continue selling, you know what you got to do. I don't even smoke. I'm doing this because it's the principle of the matter, okay? I'm gonna take those cigarettes. I'm gonna cr- crunch them in half. I'm gonna stomp on them as you watch, John. But uh, <laughs> if I was uh, also just explaining what else I do, uh, I I don't know. I write uh, books about dumb people doing dumb things i write books about people being awful at the occupations because i don't think anyone is exactly good at anything and i don't think anybody knows what they are doing at any time and i publish books through perpetual motion machine uh and i don't know how to classify what we publish exactly it's except to say that it's a book that I don't think anyone else is really publishing, and at the time it caught me in a good mood, and I think it's great. And I think I know how to sell it to the random uh, maniacs I encounter on the street.
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, and uh, I mean that can be said of, your, of the books you write as well as the ones you publish as far as classify that shit, I dare you.
2: I, I I tend to go with the uh, Joe Lansdale model when someone asks me like oh what do you write I what genre do you write and I usually tell them oh I write in the Max Booth genre because I don't I don't I don't know what else to say I mean I do all types of genres kind of blended together I don't try to be confined to one genre as I'm writing something I tend to spiral out of control and do anything that seems interesting at the time.
1: Yeah, and you're uh, you're good at that. You're good at bounding from topic to topic and trope to trope without never landing on the same fence twice.
2: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, and uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, I read Carnivorous Lunar Activities a couple months ago, and I loved it. I thought it was a great Balance Of horror and comedy Like there was a lot of scenes in there Where I was just laughing my ass off But one of the things that really Struck me Yeah one of the things that struck me with that book And I don't know if maybe It was intentional is a lot of it Is centered on the two friends And takes place like in the basement So it's kind of like A confined setting With you know a limited cast But I was Totally like enthralled with it the whole time. And I was just curious writing it with it being mainly two characters and a lot of dialogue. Was that like a big challenge for you or is that kind of always what you wanted to do with that book?
2: I would say it was definitely a challenge, but it was also a lot of fun. When I started to write this book, I knew before I even knew what the plot would be, that I wanted it to be set in the basement with just two people talking the whole time because when you when you tell that to somebody it sounds like the least exciting thing in the universe so i thought well how do i make that fun how do i make that exciting and i i do think that one strong in my own writing if i can brag a bit is i am pretty good at dialogue so i thought i could probably uh make this somewhat coherent and it, it was fun i mean when i set out to write it i knew the main setup would be this guy is trying to convince his friend to shoot him with a gun. I didn't know why he was going to conv- He was trying to convince him of this. I didn't have any of the, uh, uh, Wolfman, uh, themes from the really beginning that came after a couple of false beginnings. And, uh, one thing I did do to like, keep the, the rhyme, the rhythm of the dialogue going is I wrote the book, as only dialogue to begin with. So the the uh the first draft it was just a conversation, nothing outside of dialogue existed. And then I went back and I revised.
1: It was kind of interesting yeah. you mentioned that because I went through probably the first 30 40 pages after I read it the first time and read just the dialogue and yeah. uh and and it it works oddly well just standing all by itself like two guys sitting on a stage sharing lines you know yeah yeah i i agree with shane and
0: like you said it's kind of interesting that the first draft was all dialogue but yeah the dialogue was excellent cuz like you said on the surface and you know we're both familiar with your work so we were excited regardless but like you said, on the surface, you would think, OK, two guys talking in a basement like that's going to be boring as hell. <laughs> but instead, it was like it was one of the funniest books I had read and one of the most enjoyable reading experiences I had.
2: Oh Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much. That's super kind of you. I, I love anything that is set in one location with limited uh, with a limited cast. Like on TV, you would call it a bottle episode. Like take the episode of Breaking Bad called The Fly. The whole episode takes place in the meth lab with Jesse in a vault trying to kill a fly. And it's one of the best episodes of the whole show. I mean, there's also a lot of movies like this. Uh the one that comes to mind immediately is the autopsy of Jane Doe. Just two mm-hmm. people in a milge. And it's so riveting. And I think maybe it has to do with like the claustrophobic Elements you get while uh, being immersed into that type of setting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like Last Shift did that to me too. But uh, you know, the odd, oddity though is it doesn't feel ever feel claustrophobic in the reading of it. I well, mean, that's it's good. For, okay. for two two guys sitting on a basement floor chugging brews together. Um, there's a lot of action in that book. So <laughs> yeah. <keep it. laughs>
2: A lot of uh, flatulence as well.
1: Yes, yes. A lot of, a lot of dick <laughs> jokes.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, I'm doing this novella right now I because I basically thought okay, well, I did a basement. How can I get even a small? So, uh, this novella I'm wrapping up now is set from beginning to end in a bathroom. Huh. So hopefully, that's more claustrophobic.
1: <laughs> it's it sounds pretty fucking claustrophobic to me <laughs> yeah. um if, if anybody else told me that i'd say nah fuck you i don't want to read that but coming from you that actually kind of excites me a little bit yeah. It's also
2: like a bathroom found in a small house so it's not like a public restroom i mean it's really small and there's a there's a cast of fill people a husband wife son and a Donald. And they remain in this bathroom for like a week. So, it's just how they survive.
1: Uh, yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this
0: sounds pretty damn intriguing, though. I gotta say.
2: Well, hopefully, someone with a a way to send me a contract agrees.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and kind of going off uh, carnivorous... I know that came out through the Fangoria book imprint. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Fangoria. That's a name that, you know, every horror fan knows and loves pretty much. And I was just curious, you know, how did you get in touch with Fangoria? And what was it like having your book come out with, you know, such a huge beloved horror property like Fangoria?
2: Yeah, so um, going back to... I think 2012, maybe. I did my Billy Philst live reading up in Dallas at a bookshop called The Wild Detectives. It was me and like five other writers, uh, one of which being my uh, favorite author of all time, Joe Lansdale. So that was pretty uh, nerve wracking to get up on stage, having just done that, uh, knowing Joe Lansdale would be going next. But someone in the crowd uh, happened to see me, and uh, like maybe a year, year and a half passed, and uh, he reached out to me via email saying he uh, enjoyed my performance from the Dallas reading, and him and a business associate were in the process of beginning a new publishing slash film producing company called CineState. And he wanted to know if I could get a, pitch him an idea for a novel that they could potentially publish. So I sent them about six ideas, and uh, Carnivalist was the one that seemed to excite him the most. So I went and I wrote the book in about, I don't know, about a month. And I sent it to him, and eight months passed, and no one responded. So I reached out, and no one responded, and eventually I was doing a uh, convention, the, the Texas Lit Fest, and I bumped into the, the guy who had been talking to me about this, and I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, yeah, I left that company. I'm no longer uh, employed with them. So I thought, well, that sucks. I just wrote this book, and now I have no way to uh, – I don't have the, um, the, the press that was uh, initially involved looking at it now. So I – Began shopping it to different places. No one really gave a shit about it. Uh, About three or four months passed. And uh, I found out that CineState had just bought the Fangolia brand from whoever owned it previously. And they would be releasing uh, original Fangolia movies. They would be doing the magazine again. Podcasts. And they would also be doing original novels. So I uh, emailed the man who runs Cinestate, whose name is uh dallas Sanye, and i said hey uh a long time ago i emailed this novel to your ex business business associate i was curious if you ever saw it as well and if it might be a good fit for uh, the fangolia brand and he emailed me back the next day having read it pretty freaking fast and he said he loved it, and he wanted to uh, schedule a phone conference to go over the, the contract details. And after a while, we came to an agreement, and yeah, they bought the book. And it was pretty freaking awesome, because like most of us, as a kid, I loved yeah I didn't read every issue that came out, because as my mom would say, that magazine's too fucking expensive, and I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> once in a while, I would uh, convince them to uh, get me a copy at the grocery store, and I would become obsessed with it. I think the Villy Filth issue, well, I don't know if it was the one I owned in the beginning, but the one that sticks out, that sticks out the most. It had a, a, on the front kettle, it had James Gunn's new movie, uh, Slither, and that was one grotesque image that <laughs> is still in my brain today
0: yeah that's that sounds pretty surreal like you said you you know you grew up reading those and then you know now to have your book out with them and you know kind of one thing we do with this podcast a lot of times is we jump all over the fucking place based off of our how the conversation goes but I know you said that you read Fangoria when you were younger and you kind of grew up with it I think you and I are about the same age and I was just curious you know other than Fangoria did you have any experiences with like R.L. Stein and the Goosebumps books? Cause that was like my, my big introduction into the whole horror genre when I was a kid.
2: Yeah. Goosebumps was pretty much how I began reading my, my school had a bunch of them in the school library and the cover. How can you resist picking up one of those books after you see the cuddles? Yeah. I mean, it's just tempting you so badly See, so, yeah, I read a bunch of them. At one point, I we went to like a library book sale, and my dad found a, just a box of like all the books published up to that date, and we bought the whole box. And I got obsessed with them, and that kind of uh, evolved into becoming obsessed with Christopher Pike who is like a slightly mild uh, badass oilstein, maybe. I think just because he uses naughty language sometimes, so <laughs> I was like, ooh, this guy. I shouldn't be reading this guy. <laughs> I also thought it was cool because my uh, my public library, they had at the checkout stand this giant bookshelf dedicated only to Christopher Pike. I don't know who did, made that decision, but it was probably one of the reasons I became such a intense uh, riddle of the genre because I would just take stacks of them home every uh, week and just devour them and my love for uh, Stein and Pike eventually came to uh, a love for Stephen King he was like the the, the first uh, grown-up book author I began reading And I think it was because I loved the movie Stand By Me so much And I wanted to read What it was based off of And then so on
0: Yeah, and to go off your point I wish I would have Had someone explain that About Christopher Pike to me When I was younger Because I always saw his books too But for some reason like I don't know what it was I never picked one up But I was curious to ask you about Goosebumps since we were about the same age. And, you know, that was that was my big thing because, you know, a lot of the authors we talked to, their first introduction was Stephen King, whether it was because, you know, they were already too old for Goosebumps when they came out. But I think it's interesting. I kind of think of R.L. Stein as like the gateway Stephen King, like for people of a certain generation, like you started there you go to Stephen King, and the last Goosebumps-related question I'll ask you, I promise, is what were your top three Goosebumps books?
2: Okay. Uh, I definitely Say Cheese and Die, which is basically like a YA sundog. Uh, I also loved uh, those one with a bunch of goo in a basement that evolves. Do you know what I'm talking uh, about?
0: Yeah, I think it was Monster Blood.
2: Yes, that's it. And I also love the Haunted Mask. So I guess I would go with those three. But also you have to love Chucky you have to love Slappy too, so yeah. I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, those are all pretty good choices. Yeah, Did you, you guys also uh, the watch Bump, the T V so. show? Oh yeah. I watched the T V show and I think I had a couple of the episodes on VHS. I had the Haunted Mask for sure on VHS.
2: That episode skilled the shit out of me. As a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was a really
2: movie. good show. Still with, uh, uh, what's that show called? Uh, Don't be afraid of the dark.
0: Oh, yeah. Something like that. Either that or, yeah, I forget the exact name, but I watched that too.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, Shane.
2: I think, I I think Shane left.
0: No, I was I was gonna bring them back in. I promised that I wouldn't keep it too long on the goosebumps. But Shane, even though it is uh like for kids, you should check out the Haunted Mask. Cause for a kid's story, it is pretty messed up. Oh, maybe he did leave.
2: <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Bye, Shane. <laughs>
0: No. (laughs) So uh, one thing that I'm going to use one of Shane's questions, I think he had to step out for a minute, is um, he worked in the hospitality industry, which you do for people who follow your Twitter feed probably know. And he said, it's a good way to get to know the underside of a piece of dog shit. And he said, that said, do you find working as a hotel night auditor makes you well suited for the life of a writer?
2: I think it does only because doing the night shift at a hotel, you get used to just absolute scumbags treating you like shit. I mean, you could be, you could be the, you could go out of your way to try to make somebody happy. You could uh, pick up this guy's luggage, you could help him lug it up to the room, you could do everything, you can wipe his ass and they will still find a way to get upset with you to yell at you and I think that really helps you propel fully life in publishing because no matter what you do, it's you're going to end up disappointed somehow and you're just going to leave that day depressed probably
1: <laughs> Hey, sorry about that guys, can you hear me? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Excellent. Sorry, I have a neighbor who chose really bad timing to get in my way. <laughs> oh, it's all
0: good. Uh, just I was just asking Max about uh, how working as a night auditor, like how that would relate to a writer's life.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wait, was wait. one.
2: I, I'm interested in what, what happened. He got in the way? How did he like come in?
1: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, she she knows I'm recording here right in front of my door, and she comes over and knocks on the damn door and sets all my dogs off and just turned the place into utter <laughs> chaos. And then okay. I mute, when I mute my mic, if I turn it back on, it doesn't come back, so I have to get the hell out of Skype and come all the way back in. Okay,
2: because I in my mind I thought maybe you just got into a scrap.
1: <laughs> no, that's the other neighbor.
2: <laughs> okay
0: see at first Max and I thought you dropped off because of the goosebumps
1: <laughs> yeah that pushed me close but... <laughs> my gateway drug ah, my, my gateway drug to King was Maury's syndak that's pretty interesting so wo-
0: where the wild things are is that yeah that
1: one that's about the only thing even horror. Adjacent that I can think of having ever read prior to reading my first Stephen King novel. Cool. I was uh, I was one of those uh, uh, kind of adventure type kids. I read a lot of Jack London and Walt Morey and stuff like that. And granted, we didn't have the the goosebump stuff. So,
2: what got you into the genre?
1: Um I saw a book on my dad's bookshelf called Salem's Lot and it looked really intriguing nice. to me and I stole it and it scared the fuck out of me and changed me forever. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. My dad is who I got my love of crime and horror fiction from. That's about all I got from him, but I did get that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I uh I didn't get into crime fiction until I was about 12 or so. I was, uh, I don't know how deep when they get into, the, into this, but uh, from like ages 12 to 16, we, we lived in a hotel because of, of reasons. And in the beginning, we still kind of had a house, but it didn't have electricity or, or running model. So sometimes we would go and sit in the house while my dad was at his job. And then he would pick us up after the fact and, uh, take us to a hotel to sleep and i recall one of those days i was just going through random paperbacks my mom owned because she had so many and i found a Richard prices clock Olds, which was like a fucking 700 page paperback and i read pretty much the book front to back in one night and from then on i was just in love with crime fiction i quickly uh Went on to read almost uh, everything Elmore Leonard wrote, mostly because he wrote uh, *Rum Punch*, and I loved uh, Quentin Tarantino quite so much.
1: Yeah, Elmore Leonard's probably one of my favorite crime writers that ever picked up a pen. He's a oh. dangerous
2: guy to read while uh, writing because his, uh, his, his the way he writes is really contagious.
1: Uh, I can see how there would be some creep going on there if you read him too much while you were trying to create your own stuff. But, uh, let me see. I was going to ask you something I just lost my train of thought because of the chaos. Oh, Foster had a few questions he wanted us to ask. Did you touch any of those, Rich? No, no. Um, a few especially that I'm really interested in. He wanted to know, uh, What's your uh, favorite werewolf movie b- or book? And or?
2: Okay, um, okay so I'll, I'll do both. Uh, movie is Ginger Snaps, without a doubt. Ditto. And book, um, man, I don't know. I don't think I've read enough to make a definite statement, but I, I quite like uh, Cycle the Werewolf. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's this one book I can't think of, and it's the guy who wrote it off the top of my head, but I think the book is called The Night Local. Huh. It's it's like from the 80s. It's about this, uh, this vet who might be in, uh, con, uh, infected with the wolfman disease, and he's just going around killing people and just fucking people. It's uh, pretty fucked up. I don't know who wrote it now. I could Google ter- it.
1: It's terrible how fucking good that sounds to me. Is that the yeah. thing?
0: <laughs> No, no, I thought the same thing. I'm like, shit, I wish I knew who wrote that. I'm going to add it to my list.
2: Okay, yeah, it's by Thomas Tessiel. It's called The Night Volatile. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I've heard yeah, of that one. It was one.
2: published in... It was published in uh, 1980.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, have, I had that one sitting up on my monitor, but I wasn't sure if it was the same one you're talking about or not because the synopsis reads weird. Yeah, the,
2: I'm looking at the synopsis too. It's kind of dumb. <laughs> but it's also really similar to uh, Landis's movie, Millicent and, uh, Millic and Milbooth in London, because a guy goes to London and he becomes a fucking milbooth. But there's a lot of uh, strange, violent sex going on in this book. It, it's, it's awesome. What came first?
1: I don't remember what year American Werewolf was released.
2: I think ah. the movie came out in eighty. 80-
1: 81.
2: 81, so yeah. But, I mean, the movie was probably already in production by the time the book came out.
1: Um, sorry, Rich is distracting me by typing in my fucking document while I'm reading it. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> so Moving up. Go ahead. I was
0: just going to say, kind of building off that question, um do you buy into the notions that werewolves represent inner violent human nature, or is it just like a monster? That was another question from John.
2: I can, I mean, it could be both ways, I guess. It just depends on whoever is writing it wants to uh, do with it. But I mean, like with my book, I definitely didn't really uh, think too uh, intelligently about it, I just wanted to write something about a cool monster uh, causing some damage. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's also a lot of like I, you can you can say like the real with a trope, I guess. The monster, it's a good metaphor for something like a alcoholism. Because you just kind of lose control and just do things that you little re- regret. Sometimes you wake up the next day, you have no idea what you've done, but you know you've caused some type of damage, and that's really similar to um, being an alcoholic, I would say.
1: Uh, yeah, to to I would actually, that's a pretty uncanny uh, comparison now that you mention it. Yeah, I I'd never yeah. thought about it that way, but it very much does kind of mirror the. Symptoms of addiction, but uh, okay. Another foster question. We're not going to let him have the whole goddamn night.
2: But. How many did he send in?
1: A lot. <laughs> he gave me a bunch. I asked for it. Um, that w- these were the ones that really interested me. As far as the uh, horror tropes go, and this led me to one of mine too, um, is what horror tropes do you think need to just go away?
2: Um, none of them. I don't. I don't. I don't think I like the idea of just saying, oh, just because this one thing has been done a lot, it shouldn't be done at all. Because I think anyone could put a creative spin on just about anything, and I don't. Yeah. So I mean, if you can be creative about it. You should fucking do anything. Um, But like trying to think of things I've seen a lot lately. Uh, You know, I'll be honest. I'm getting sick of this goddamn phase of a pizza hole that's been going (laughs) around lately.
1: What's up with (laughs) all the fucking pizza horror?
2: (laughs) I don't know what's going on with that, but it needs to die a quick death. A quick painful death, if I do have to say. Because it's getting out of hand and no one wants that.
0: It's funny you mention that, because one of the things I wrote down to ask you was about Tales from the Crust, and I I started reading it a little bit today, and I blasted through the first hundred pages, but one thing that I found hilarious, and I don't know if like maybe these people were in on it, or if it was just an eerie coincidence, but... Like, all these open submissions I'd been seeing, like, I would read the guidelines, and literally the first fucking thing on the list in all capitals was no more pizza horror.
2: (laughs) Yes. So, that's been one of the only good things about doing this anthology, is it kind of broke publishing. (laughs) <laughs> because, yeah, as you said, you will see many submission guidelines specifying no pizza stories. And then what's great is you will see, like, authors commenting, what the fuck do they, do they mean by no pizza stories? Why are they saying that?
1: Levelled the whole fucking market with one fucking topic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. And also, like, uh, sometimes like a like a magazine or an anthology editable will just post what the hell's going on with all these pizza stories i keep getting (laughs) this is a prank
1: yeah i
0: was like i saw that and i was like wait a second i'm like they can't be serious and then i'd go to like a completely different publisher and they'd be like please do not send in your pizza horror stories (laughs) and i was like max is probably over the moon that like this anthology has made other publishers be like, please, no more. No pizza horror.
2: <laughs> it's awesome. And, I mean, the book was a nightmare. But I'm glad I did it just because of what has happened to publishing. And I hope it continues to break publishing. I hope by this time next year, no one can publish anything. And we just live in this <laughs> wasteland of uh, rotting pizza you know what's
0: funny though is like and i i'm just kind of curious about the genesis of this project um because it sounds so absurd like on the surface like pizza horror like what the hell but like i said i read through a whole bunch of the stories today because I literally couldn't stop myself the stories are really damn good like I think it was kind of like yeah it was kind of like a way for authors to just let go and just be creative with something fun you know rather than try and be something like focus on something serious
2: I think the book has 26 uh, stories in it, and we received, like, I believe the exact thumbnail was 5,222 submissions. So you have to imagine how many bad, (laughs) truly awful submissions we got of just people going, oh, pizza, that's wacky. And they're just sending us the dumbest shit. If I told you a Sultan name if I if I told you guys the name of a Sultan author who submitted something to me and how it was the real thing we got in all five thousand books. Because when I saw his name I thought, oh shit, why is he submitting to us? He's a big name. It was the one of the bunch. So I don't know what about <laughs> this theme just completely ruined everybody involved. I mean, you guys know who uh, David Shal is, right? Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Shal? I
1: think it's Scal. Yeah, he... Scowl.
2: Scal sounds like it makes sense. He uh, he posted something on Facebook how pizza was going to be like the epidemic of publishing and ruin the <laughs> genre. <laughs> so I, 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 made a, I made a screenshot of that. I mean, he was being completely genuine. He was not happy. <laughs> I, so I, I didn't get up, up my up. wall. <laughs> you know I, you I began using it as a Facebook bulb. <laughs> so this is what he said about the book. What do you yeah. guys think?
0: <laughs> you know, what's funny is, I mean, like you said, I can't even imagine, like, some of the things that you must have saw, but the ones that made it in there, like, they were so good, and, like, you almost forget, like, hey, this basically centers around pizza, But, like, all of them, they're all different types. Like, I was telling Shane about one of them. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it involves a secret society and some trials. And, man, that was one of the grossest things I ever read. But I love that story.
2: That is the most disgusting thing I've read in my life. That is a (laughs) story by uh, Paul Gonzalez. No, Michael Paul Gonzalez, excuse me. And... Yeah, we uh that did not take much consideration. We pretty much ex- accepted that one right away. It is repulsive in every way. And I do believe it's even being reprinted like in the most horrible, horrible anthology of the year that comes out. So that should give you some idea yeah. of how gross oh. it is. Um
1: um I think
2: I think like when we set out to do this anthology we wanted right off the bat to have genuine, uh, silly stories, nothing too wacky, nothing that said, Oh, pizza, I love pizza, I should write about pizza. <laughs> and I hope that came across as a, as a, like a fucking, a real book, nothing that's just a bunch of gags. Although, if you read, yeah. uh, Michael and still, you will indeed gag quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Well, when I read the original r- original submission call for that book, I remember thinking that's a fucking slush pile from hell right there. <laughs> yeah.
2: You will correct. I, <laughs> I hated every minute of it very much enough,
1: because you know. it was one of your your specific one of the things you specifically required was was no humor, at least not as far as the story being strictly for the sake of humor, and I can't imagine how many yeah. fucking times that got ignored. <laughs> yeah so
2: many times i I will say a lot of the stories in the book all funny but in a different way than you might expect when you when you heal pizza hole it doesn't make pizza the joke it just has uh you know a funny way of writing i mean cody goodfella he can't write anything without being somewhat comical about it
1: well yeah everyone said there are people with voices Mm -hmm. it would be like trying to get someone like David Wong to write something serious.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, David Scal to write something uh at all about pizza. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, you know, I should I should I should do a second volume and just and see if he'll write like the intro to it.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that and you know, publishing books I'm sure it's you know, it's a labor of love because it it's probably pretty costly, but it'd be kind of interesting to see like a follow up anthology of like some of the like completely over the top ones that didn't make it.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds awful. So that's something that, that, that brings me to something else about the anthology because I don't know how. I... Much you guys were on Facebook at the time that we were accepting submissions, but in the uh, like open call submission group on the threads for the pizza book, we ended up getting hundreds of comments of people making the most god awful pizza puns, and I would constantly, <laughs> re- constantly reply, "I'm gonna reject you now," and they would take it serious. <laughs> but also. As I began rejecting everybody, someone came up with a brilliant idea of coming up with a book called uh, Leftovolds, which would be an anthology of <laughs> rejected submissions. <laughs> and it was the worst idea ever, because they were rejected for a reason. <laughs> no one, no one wants to read a book of bad stories. Yeah.
1: Here's a bunch of shit we didn't take. Read this. <laughs>
2: and, but the person who suggested the idea, like they weren't alone. Like they began gathering a, a posse of pizza rejects, and it was like, guys, you don't want it. This is stupid. You'll embarrass and saying, you'll stop it. And that was just one of the things. One of the things that happened on that fucking face group. At one point, this guy who's a Facebook avatar it's a goddamn roach. Uh, what the fuck is his name from Washington? He began commenting how I was a scam eldest and how nobody should ever uh, publish with me. And if they did, they were a, a dumbass. And that had to do with the, with the previous feud I had with them. Somehow he found me again.
1: Uh, yeah, those people just, there are some people that just don't belong in this world. And one of them a- is me. Every now and then you come across those idiots like that, that just, they want, they want to. To fight with you and they want to continue it no matter what it's about even if it is completely stupid
2: that's <laughs> so stupid man i did i did uh i did KillCon, uh the last two yields and one of them it was right after i uh, sent all the rejects and ex- uh, acceptances i can't tell you how many uh people came up to me and said oh yeah you just rejected me <laughs> i'm just standing going oh How do you how do you how do you envision this conversation continuing? Right. (laughs) Why would you?
1: Well, let me go home and review my decision quickly. (laughs) That happens
2: so often. I don't know what to say.
1: I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's like when since we started uh, publishing the stories on our websites, we very strictly by invitation only. And I've had a few people contact me and then get mad at me for saying I didn't even want to read their story. It's like I didn't ask you to write it for oh. me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Relate really a lot. Uh, I'll, a couple of weeks ago, I was selling books at a local town fest, like one of those uh, festivals where they sell like meat on a stick and like uh, beads. But I, and also a book of a table of spooky books, I guess. So I'm selling these books uh, infrequently, and this guy walks up dressed like a like a like a beat poet is the best way I can describe it. He has a uh, tight jeans, a tight black turtleneck, black sunglasses, and a black uh, hat. And it's like 99 degrees out, <laughs> and he's just Asking me all these questions about the books we publish, I immediately got the vibe that he wasn't interested in at all in the books we published and I was uh, I was uh, I was right because like 10 minutes into the conversation he goes okay but now the real question is would you be interested in publishing a book about uh, modal cycle and martial arts uh, philosophy right. and I immediately I immediately said no he said but you haven't even read it I was like I don't want to <laughs> he got so mad he was he, he came said, down to uh, the oh.
1: best Ginsburg just for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess. Maybe he saw me and ran home and changed. <laughs> I don't know. It ended with him going, joke's on you. It's already been published. And I said, okay, good luck with that. And he walked away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll look that so up.
2: I, I, can re- I can relate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um... Now let's get to some classic monsters I want to talk about. Um, what did, do you have a favorite classic monster amongst the vampire, werewolf, zombie, blah blah blah? Big Collect- fan of uh,
2: vampires. Yeah, I yeah. like I like the vamps.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of vampires too. They're extremely versatile creatures.
2: Yeah, uh, I like them all. I think I, I can't think of any I dislike. Even zombies, I like.
1: Yeah, I like zombies. If somebody could tell me a fucking unique story about them, but otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
2: don't go out of my way and watch anything like a zombie in the zombie field. But I mean, I can't deny, as a kid, that I watched Dawn of the of the Dead on repeat. I mean, I'm, I was a big zom I was a big zombie head. I guess you should say, as a kid, not so much now, but. I can't, I can't say anything bad about them, because at one point, I loved them quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I didn't really get... See, the zombie kind of resurgence in genre fiction happened for me, basically, when Brian King published The Rising. Brian Keene. I hmm. should know his last fucking name, shouldn't I? <laughs> um <laughs> And so so I was already fully into my adulthood by the time I really read my first zombie book or saw my first zombie flick. Um, so it took a long time for it to get old for me. But after a while, especially with fiction, people start writing the same story over and over again, you know, and it's just um, hunt, kill, fuck, eat, run, hunt, kill, fuck, eat, run, you know, and I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: everybody. Everybody has, like, this survivalist uh, fantasy that they use zombie fiction to expand on, I guess. And it's never interesting. It's all the same fucking thing. Rinse and repeat.
0: Yeah, there was one. I don't know if you guys have read it. I've only read the first two, and it was years ago. But um, I believe it was... It was translated for here, but um, it originally was published in Spain. His name's Manuel Manu Luriero. I can't pronounce the name, but it's called the Apocalypse Z series. That one was a mm. good one. It was set up kind of like a series. It started as like a blog, a blog thing, and then he wrote it into a book. But it, it basically was just this random, like, guy. Like, you know how a lot of zombie books you have, like, that person that you know just thinks they're gonna like go out there and kick all the zombies asses by themselves basically like a rick grimes type this guy he was kind of like an office worker and like it was there were scenes where he would go out there and you know he would fuck stuff up because he would come up with these dumbass ideas and it was actually pretty entertaining like it was not like what you would expect like him you know thinking he was just going to go out there and solve all the problems.
1: So That sounds pretty cool. It actually yeah. does sound pretty cool. I haven't heard of that one, but I'm definitely going to look it up. Yeah, they're pretty good. I think there's three of them. I haven't read the third one, but, yeah, the first one was
0: really good.
1: Okay, so so the reason I asked that question, Rich probably knows what I'm leading up to, um, is you've recently re- embraced a classic monster in your in your own fiction writing, which was a brand new thing for you at least that I've seen published um and now you're working on something with uh, cemetery dance correct I am yes can you tell us something about that? <sighs> I guess
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like just acting completely uninterested in uh, answering questions. It's one of my fetishes. Uh, so yeah, I have a new book coming out. It's called *Touch the Night*, and it has nothing to do with uh, classical monsters at all. Although we get we do get some uh, some demonic type of creatures going on. Although I can't exactly get into what type of uh, villains we're dealing with exactly but touch the night is coming out through some semitile dance at uh, some point in 2020 probably the second half if i had to guess i don't know exactly they will be doing a limited signed hardcover edition and also the ebook and i will most likely be uh, self releasing the the paperback edition through a uh, perpetual motion machine just because i don't know who the fuck is gonna want just the paperback rights uh And it's basically about two kids who uh, sneak out in the middle of the night. They are best friends, and they decide to do some uh, petty property damage around the neighborhood. And on the way home, they will stop by police, and they turn out not to be exactly police, and things go wrong, and... And those kids go missing. And the rest of the book is what happens to those two kids and how the, uh, the, the the moms of the two kids unite and try to find them because the local police station, they don't even believe the kids are missing. They believe they've gone on the run because they are wanted for crimes they've committed. And also the uh, town sheriff is a bit of a racist and the two kids or two black kids and the sheriff is a racist piece of shit as a um, most cops tend to be and it's basically a take the law into my own hands type of mystery detective uh punk novel
1: Oh well, you, you you had me already, but then you yeah. hit Splatterpunk and yeah. got me all the rest of the way.
2: It is <laughs> easily uh, it's easily the most gruesome thing I've written. I think I've just uh, just violence wise, it gets pretty intense. Uh, Rich Chismel, who runs Cemetery Dance, told me it reminded him of a of an old school Dick Lehman novel. So if that helps uh, give you the correct mindset of what this book is, it's basically an old school Dick Lehman novel. Um,
1: that's fantastic news, though. And that's, yeah. I mean, Chismar really knows what he's talking about when it comes to that stuff like that, too. So that's something you can kind of take to the bank if he says something like that.
2: Yeah. And um, like the main inspiration of, of this novel came from a moment of my childhood, Uh, a point when I was I would say maybe 9 maybe 10 I don't know the exact age I don't know how uh, folks always know how old they were when things happened my memory doesn't look that way but you'll see like some people going oh yeah when I was 12 and a half this happened to me I don't know how old I was when anything happened but I'm gonna guess maybe 10 Uh, I was sleeping at my friend's house and uh, we decided to sneak out And we went around town uh, breaking things and just causing damage like asshole kids tend to do. And uh, on the way home, I had a a knife because I was I just I was one of those kids who always had knives and I was just I was fucking around with it. And just as we got in front of my uh, my friend's house, we were blindsided by headlights because a cop was following us from me from behind. And they got out, and uh, I dropped the knife, and it, and because the blade was open, it landed in the ground, sticking up. <laughs> so, so they saw it immediately, <laughs> and uh, they began just uh, talking to us how uh, cops shouldn't speak to children, calling us uh, all types of homophobic slurs, and really just giving me an idea of how most cops act, and. It wasn't a great experience. They slammed us against the hood. They did yelling at us, and we basically the crime we had was being out past midnight. And then my fucking dumbass friend decided to tell, decided to tell the cop that he was my brother and that we lived on the opposite side of town. And as he was telling the cop this, his mom walked out and said, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> and it was just it was just a, a bunch of <laughs> dumb decisions building off of each other. So the book is basically, it takes that opening premise, but instead of a, the mom coming out to ask, Hey, what are you doing with my son? It goes into a really fucked up direction.
1: Well, that sounds like a blast yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: I can't wait to read that one.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I think it's maybe the best book I've done. So let's hope Ethel people agree.
1: And I think you've really done – that's the thing I say a lot. People probably get sick of me saying it, in fact, that um, really good authors get better every time they produce another book. Um, The best authors we have, the best storytellers have done that. Joe Lansdale's done that. Um, King, not so much, but he's just good enough to carry himself anyway. Um, He's having fun yeah um and and you've done the same thing you've with each book you've published for me personally the ones i've read they get better and better each time um and that's true both as author and publisher and i think that's an important progression in an author career but uh is it something that you always have on your mind when you as a writer is how can i improve how can i make the next one better how can i you know, I don't
2: know if I and I don't know if I'm thinking about like quality, but I think I do tend to think about uh, how interesting it is because I tend to uh, get billed quite often. So I have to constantly think of situations that excite me and seem impossible to write. Maybe like like the one I'm doing now is, like I said, it takes place in a bathroom <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do after that, man. (laughs) A crawl space?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, Rich records this podcast from his fucking closet, so there's that. Yeah,
0: 50-50. Sometimes it's the walk-in closet, sometimes it's the spare bedroom.
2: (laughs) See, I like that. We could do a book about a guy uh, doing a podcast in a closet, and maybe uh, someone begins talking to him who isn't invited on the Skype channel.
1: Ooh. And nobody else can. And nobody else can hear them. Yeah,
2: we got ourselves a spooky little tale going on, fellas. Yeah, it's on. You could call it <laughs> that, the closet.
0: That, that would be great. <laughs> or two, you know, my house is haunted, so you could somehow work a ghost in there too.
2: Nice.
0: But uh, yeah, Max. So like, as a publisher you started Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. I was just kind of curious, what made you decide to start your own publishing company? And also, you know, you kind of do it all. You write books, you publish books, you have two different podcasts, and then uh, you have kind of like a live reading variety show and decent exposure.
2: Well, I... I was trying to come up with a way to kill myself Without physically <laughs> doing it To myself and I thought This would be the best way uh, As a uh, Concealing perpetual motion machine Publishing I guess I thought Wouldn't it be funny if I created A company with A name that takes like 10 seconds To say <laughs> I'll tell you guys I I regret the name a lot But it's too late to change it <laughs>
1: i was waiting for the punchline that i read (laughs) it's too long he's saying he did do that Mm
2: -hmm. it's it's way too long of a name
0: uh yeah so do you usually just kind of go off like an acronym do you usually just say yeah this is pmm publishing or
2: (laughs) i say a pmmp and a lot of like uh like promotional material says pmmp which looks a lot like pimp and (laughs) <laughs> at a lot of uh, like festivals they take a look at us and go what's pimp <laughs> <laughs> uh, the name the name came from basically uh, myself and my uh, business and also my uh, life, Peltanel, Lily Michelle. We decided stupidly to begin a publishing company while drunk off of booze and nachos. And I decided, let's do it right now. And I immediately created a Facebook page fill it, like an idiot, without thinking about any of the, uh, the logistics of it all and i was like what, what what should we call it and at the time i was listening to a song called perpetual motion machine by modest mouse and I went, that's a good t- that's a good thing let's let's do that and now because i was drunk that's the name of a company we own and also we own a company and we haven't stopped because i think it would be a uh, hypocritical to uh stop doing a company called perpetual motion machine it just <laughs> goes against the name itself so i've kind of locked myself in until i'm dead <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah. That's that kind of. You've got kind of two equal parts, both uh, youth and genius at your disposal, and a heavy helping of insanity spread over the whole bunch of it. Um. Because I can't imagine how you keep all the shit up that you keep up, man. And well, a full time. I. Mean,
2: I, def- I, I definitely couldn't do it without uh without Lily Michelle. I mean, she does so much as well. I mean, she's fifty percent of PMMP. Yeah. And she she's also the editor-in-chief of Delic Moon Digest. So, I mean, she does a lot. She does all the uh, interior film adding of all of the books. I don't know how to do any of that. And she also freelances, like, the designs of books. Full, like, fucking... 12 different small presses so most of the books you read take a look at the uh, copyright page you might see your name <laughs>
1: that's yeah. what i was gonna say is i can't i couldn't even tell you how many books i've read the opening pages there and saw Lori michelle yeah i think like the last five i read yeah <laughs> i always look at that stuff and i'm like oh
2: okay yeah if a book looks good she probably is respons- right. responsible
1: responsible <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, that that's kind of it's kind of funny that you said that's how you started it when you guys were like drunk and stuff. Cause not necessarily on the drunk side of things, but also sort of. That's kind of how Shane and I got involved in a lot of the stuff that we've done together, from the website itself to the podcast. <laughs> it's kind of like, eh, fuck it, we might as well just do yeah. it. Otherwise, we'll just overthink this thing too much
1: yeah it's like this yeah. thing started out with someone saying hey can we do this can we do this interview as audio and we said sure and suddenly we're doing a fucking <laughs> podcast we didn't know we were planning <laughs> yeah.
2: how do you how do you guys like the podcast sir, so, phil how's it going philia
1: it's great uh it's you
0: know we were both that ve- we're both kind we were kind of nervous about doing it and it's gotten a little bit easier with each one, but yeah, we've had a lot of great conversations on here, but even still sometimes the nerves, at least for me, the nerves kick in. And I'm like, Oh man, I every time we start recording, I'm like, is this gonna be a good podcast or are people just gonna think we're a
2: bunch of assholes? Man, I had the I had the same uh the same thing happen anytime
1: before I
2: do any type of podcast. I mean we've done 97 episodes of castle rock radio now and every single episode i have to kind of pace around and pump myself up to do it because beginning anything is always so difficult and it's so stressful but once you begin doing it 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 gets much easier once it begins
0: yeah exactly that's kind of how at least i am and i'm sure maybe shane probably is too is always when you first start off especially some of our guests we've you know known through twitter facebook and stuff like that but we have had a couple guests that we didn't know and like you said you kind of got to pump yourself up but then after those first couple minutes it usually just flies by
2: yeah once it's once the, the conversation gets going it it's okay
1: yeah and when you're talking to a lot of authors it's pretty easy to get a good conversation going with most most are pretty forthcoming and intelligent and yeah, I haven't ran into many assholes when it comes to that particular industry. Oh, I have some, lucky you. Some <laughs> lucky you, Shane. There have definitely been some notable ones. I
2: have. Um, if you want to change that, I would suggest uh, putting together a pizza anthology. It will. Uh... <laughs>
0: Now I wonder if you could maybe spin this off into other anthologies. Like, what other kinds of food do you think would work and/or piss off the rest of the horror community?
2: <sighs> you know, uh, as time has gone by, I've gotten a ton of suggestions, and I always tell them the same thing: no.
1: <laughs> Come on, Max. Jello. Jello, Max. Jello.
2: Okay, what would the name be? God. Yeah, the, the name is the whole thing, man. Do you know how long it took us to come up with titles <laughs> in the press? We didn't oh. even come up with it. George Catronus came up with it.
1: Today you know Today it has taken us longer to name our website than it has <laughs> yes. to do anything else we've done. <laughs> Shane today? and I fucking
0: suck at titles.
2: <laughs> yeah, I also do, man. It takes me so long. Every book I do goes through about 20 different titles. At one point... Uh, Carnivorous lenal activities,
1: what's called a uh, bones. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's so incredibly off the mark, too. <laughs> I almost just spit my beer on my computer.
2: Uh, the new one I have coming out, Touch the Night, it was originally called cirrhosis. After I wrote really, it, I was like, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with cirrhosis. Why is it called this? <laughs> I i just like how it sounds i guess
0: it's funny shane and i are laughing but if we could unfortunately it got deleted but if we could send you like the slack conversation that we had about what to name the website oh my god i i cringe just
1: thinking
2: about it can you uh come up with can you remember any of them oh man you
1: know I have so I have so many logo mock-ups if I went and dug them out of my Google Drive account I, <laughs> yeah. I could remember some because I made, I made up logo after logo after logo mock-up the mm-hmm. only one I can remember and this was this was one of our
0: fi- this was one of our finalists instead of Ink heist which you know we were like, oh, that works. Like we went through thousands. The one prior to this that we thought we were gonna name it was Grit Ink. I
1: okay. don't even. I don't even know what that means. Wow, well, I don't remember that, and I'm <laughs> fucking glad we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, you signed off on it. That was that was the finalist until we came up with ice.
1: Yeah. Well, fuck me. That's my <laughs> favorite. <fine> <you. laughs>
2: Oh, I I would suggest maybe uh, finding a list of all these names and uh, making a song out of it, Shane.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We could sing it on air.
2: That could be be an episode, yeah.
0: I tell you what, Rich, I'll write it, you
1: sing it. Hey,
0: if I had enough beers, I would sing it on air.
1: That's what I'm afraid of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nobody wants to hear that.
2: Um, everybody wants to heal that
1: correction (laughs) hey speaking of publishing your own books yeah you've got something coming from uh, PMMP very soon don't you me yeah no do I I mean are are you as a publisher publishing a new (laughs) yes I Fuck! did I publish a book I didn't know about (laughs) evil so confident I thought who fuck am I (laughs) <laughs>
2: um yeah, I actually uh, just released a brand new book by W.P. Johnson called "The Eight Eyes that Watch You Die." And that is basically a collection of cosmic Spital spookiness is the best way I can describe it.
1: Yeah, that one's really gonna work for me. I saw I watched that trailer. Yeah. Today, yeah. which, which you're going to release You said Monday
2: Yeah so by the time this comes out I imagine it will be uh, viral
1: Yeah I'll have a link to it In the show notes too So that people can get at it from there Um, but That took a long time That's the you, you chose the thing The number one thing in the world That scares me worse than pretty much anything Even Death by Fire the Spiders
2: yeah <laughs> oh, man. imagine if you will uh, imagine if those spinals will inflames flames and crawling <laughs> over your
1: body or that would m- be awful made of fire
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i'm not too i'm not too creeped out by insects i know a lot of people i know a lot of people are all but i don't know i mean i take that back because if i see a scorpion i'm gonna cry
1: yeah but you can't really be too squeamish of insects in texas i wouldn't think
2: um yeah not spiders too much but like i said scorpions in uh, texas no no fucking yeah. thank you i've had too many bad uh encounters with them i uh, uh i guess i can tell you one specifically uh traumatizing one if you want <laughs> i'd love it okay <laughs> Uh, So, a few years ago, I was taking my family. I was dropping them off because they were going on a plane to California. And um, so I was getting dressed to take them, and I thought, hmm, something is pinching my my right thigh. And I felt around. I had Gene Schultz on at the time, and I saw nothing. So I went, huh, it must have just been a fluke. So I began driving them, and I felt something strange on my left calf my left calf and i thought oh what the hell is hanging off my leg so as i'm driving i i reached down and it it felt like a piece a piece of plastic like the type of plastic you would take off a slice of cheese and i thought what the fuck is this doing to my leg and i grabbed it and i reached up as i'm driving to look at it and i am holding a scorpion by the tail (laughs) and i screamed and i dropped it in my laugh and i and i uh, i into incoming traffic and somehow avoided dying and inside the vehicle my whole family is just screaming the lungs off and so am i and i am I somehow made it to the, the to the side of the road and we everybody just jumped out at once screaming and this lady stopped and said hey is everything okay she began walking toward us and uh, i said no there's a scorpion in the vehicle and she went oh good luck. And she just spun around and got back in a call and drove away. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we couldn't find what happened to it, so we just got back in eventually and drove and I dropped them off and I stopped at Home Depot on the way home and I got a lot of spray and traps and I made my vehicle uh, unlivable. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, inspecting myself later that uh, evening, I realized that it had been on my right thigh, and it had crawled from the inside of my pants across my uh, oh, my, no, my, my balls because it had red, like, pinched melts all across it, and it went to my uh, left leg. So I was pretty really fucking traumatized by all of that. Fuck, you
1: just traumatized me, and I didn't even experience it. <laughs>
2: yeah so i don't know man i don't i don't like those things at all you know that that kind
0: of makes for an interesting segue because (laughs) (laughs) you wouldn't think it would but it does i'm glad it does (laughs) your your story in uh mark matthews garden of fiends that you did man that one. i was that's the story you just told about the scorpions like i don't want to spoil that story in garden of fiends for anybody but it kind of sounds eerily similar to the one thing that the main character in that story saw where you can say it
2: right
0: yeah he had dick spiders
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) awful and he had a bad he had a bad
0: time <laughs> and I was just wondering, because you're telling that story, I'm like, that kind of sounds eerily similar, you know, to because
2: you said it ran across your balls. Yeah. <laughs> For this
0: guy. <laughs> uh,
2: I think that came before the scorpion incident. I'm not positive. It might have.
1: I have to uh, confess, I would choose dick spiders over dick scorpions. <laughs> well
0: will yeah.
2: see. The scorpion crawled across the, the testicles. The yeah, spiders true. crawled from inside the dick out.
1: I don't think I. How do you, ma- so how do you make a decision between those two?
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, between those two and you, and having a, a skunk fetish, your life would be awful. <laughs>
1: uh yeah especially when you're only not the bestiary is por- porcupine sex
2: you know that might be something <laughs> I, would be, I would be i would try that
1: just to say i had once
2: i mean i wouldn't tell anyone no i just i would i would keep that to myself
1: the grandchildren i would never subsequently have would never hear the story about that yeah unless
2: they read my tweets
1: <laughs> okay i just uh did what i frequently do and lost my train of thought there i'm on a lot of muscle relaxers did i mention that to anybody
0: (laughs) no Uh, go ahead no go ahead rich i was just gonna say um this is actually one of shane's questions um he wanted to talk about writers in Texas, and he seems like there's a lot of writers there. And is it like a coincidence or is it cost a living? And like you had that live reading thing, um, which was pretty cool. I watched it on YouTube. Oh, thank and you. Yeah, and I was just curious, you know, is there kind of like a big literary community in Texas, like where you're from or just in general?
2: Kind of. I mean, I'm from Indiana, and I moved to Texas when I was 18. I live in a small town just outside of uh, San Antonio. Not much of a writing scene in San Antonio, but in Austin, it's a fucking huge scene, man. It's so great. It's about a 60-minute drive from me, which I do quite a bit because... All my friends live in Austin, and I don't know. I mean, the cost of living is not great in Austin at all. It's basically like a uh, much hoddle uh, Portland, Oregon, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of creative types, a lot of strange people just floating around. I mean, you have uh, Gambino Iglesias in Austin. You have Nate Settled. You have Rath James White. You have uh, Andrew Hillbilt. You have uh, Robert Dean. The the list just goes on and on and on. And uh, I don't know why we all live in Central Texas, of all places, but I'm glad we do because... It's nice to sometimes just kind of meet up and hang out and have lunch together and just talk about what the shit going on. I mean, hell, Shane McKenzie also lives in Austin. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a fucking fantastic uh, writer. He's he's mostly doing screenwriting now, but he used to do a lot of books with uh, a Head Press and stuff.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen much from him At all recently.
2: Well, he he uh, he found out that there's money in screenwriting and there's not money in books. So he kind of just decided, oh, I'm just going to do screenwriting now. And the thing with screenwriting is you don't have to keep up the social media presence. So he's pretty uh, relieved about that.
1: Uh, Yeah, and I can't I don't blame him for that most of the time. Some of the time I'm grateful for social media, but for the most part, it can be a real pain in the ass it's uh it's
2: exhausting i I have a love hate relationship with it, I guess, much like
1: skunks um yeah, I don't have really any kind of relationship with skunks so far. I mean, give it time, okay,
2: you don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I think you just totally fucking lost me. (laughs) Uh,
2: Did I answer the question, there, Rich? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Actually, that was Shane's question. So, I mean, you'd have to ask him, but I think you did.
2: Shane, did I uh, answer the question?
1: (laughs) I think you did. Um, Okay. Rich couldn't say for sure because he wasn't even there. He was getting a beer.
0: Hey, I, I took my laptop oh. with me. <laughs> wow.
1: I'm just messing with you, Rich. It's
0: all good. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, too. Like, there's a lot of authors, you said, that live nearby you. But one of the cool things about social media, which a lot of times it's a total shit show, let's be honest, but is that you can kind of communicate with writers from all over. Like Shane and I, the only reason we even know each other is social media.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you guys if social media didn't exist. I wouldn't have any books published without social media.
1: Um, Yeah, definitely a necessary evil. And and not not even one that I'm not thankful for. Just sometimes I'm an ungrateful bastard when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs>
2: Sometimes I think, I mean, even something good like making connections on social media, you can just, you can do too much of it at once. I mean, you shouldn't do too much of anything at once unless, you know, you have a skunk. But that's a different story. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think social media is okay until you spend too much time on it. And then it can lead to cycles of depression and sleep deprivation. And it's not good. You just have to use it responsibly and sometimes that's difficult to do especially when you're trying to run like fucking 50 different companies and they all need to have some type of fucking social media promotion going on and it's and then by the time you finish the last one you have to begin again with the one you began with and it's a never-ending cycle of social media vomit
1: i hear you so we've had i've got so many goddamn social media accounts up in the air now it's not funny trying to When you discover that it's actually a useful promotional tool, it's hard to get away from, but it also kills you sometimes.
2: (laughs) Yes, especially when halfway through promoting something, your fucking computer has to update, so you just sit and you wait (laughs) until it's done, and then something doesn't load correctly, you realize, oh wait, I have a typo, now I have to go delete all these goddamn tweets and repost them, because you can't edit tweets for some reason.
0: That pisses me off so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Especially me, I do a lot of stuff off my phone. And as Shane can attest, I have fat fingers. So, like, sometimes I read back stuff I typed in there. I'm like, is this even words? Like,
2: is this? <laughs> yeah, I hate that you can't edit tweets. But I also, I'm afraid of what could happen if you could edit tweets because I can, like, Envision someone writing something super by the book that would obviously get a lot of tweets, like something motivational that everybody loves for some reason, and it gets like fucking 10,000 retweets, and then they change it to something super racist? Ah, good
1: point. Good yeah, point. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. It. Yeah, I guess there, there are a lot of things with social media I don't necessarily agree with until somebody with greater insight than me says, well, probably this, you fucking moron.
2: That's exactly what I said, so I'm glad you
1: quoted me verbatim. (laughs) I I quoted a few people verbatim right there.
2: Yeah, I have been known to plagiarize Ethyl people.
1: (laughs) But only in real life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't (laughs) tell anyone I'm quoting them because, I mean, I am quoting them. You just can't see the quotation marks. (laughs)
1: uh what's your favorite book that you've written
2: oh shit um the nightly disease my hotel yeah. book yeah i don't i don't know i sometimes i think can i top this book and i i don't know if i can because it just came at such a raw personal time and i wrote so much of the book immediately after like experiencing the uh, worst humanity has to awful so i don't know I think that's probably the best book I've done.
1: Yeah, I've been on the receiving end of that particular humanity myself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can. I think uh, that you can sense in that book the um, connection that you had with it, with just the subject matter alone, and it seemed like a very personal work for you. Thank in you. I,
2: I I sometimes debate trying to get like. like bad jobs intentionally so i have like research to do a book on but i don't make enough money writing to do that
1: (laughs) and you've got one of the world's worst fucking jobs already (laughs) man so why try to expand on that
2: it's not great
1: it's not a great job
2: (laughs) i thought it would be i was wrong i thought it'd be awesome because i thought oh well shit i'll just write all night that doesn't happen like I thought it would.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, I've never done that job, but I've been into places that are open, like, 24 hours. We'll just say a certain big box store especially. And they always say, like, nothing good happens after midnight. So if you're doing an overnight, like, you get all this weird shit, like weird people or people that are super angry or, you know... Probably yeah. lots of drunks, too. <laughs>
2: so. Yeah, be, uh, before the hotel, I was employed doing a night shift at a, a big box company that uh, begins with W. and <laughs> Yeah, know, that's and exactly T. what I talking about. And uh, <laughs> I saw some fucking lunatics, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One thing that comes to mind immediately, I don't even know if he was a lunatic. It was just an odd time to be asking for these things. He came in dressed uh, in a trench coat, in Texas I, I i remind you asking uh if, will be sold a rope and duct tape <laughs> and that's all you wanted and that was i was concerned. <laughs>
1: yeah that would raise some concerns with me <laughs>
2: uh but um like my novella that was in uh, golden of Fiends, that takes place at one of those types of uh businesses and that was another uh, case of why well, I was employed at a place like this, so it helped with the writing process. And that's why I do think maybe being employed with the job that your protagonist has really improves the writing, and it's something I kind of want to explore going into the future. But also, no one, no one, no one wants to give me a fucking job, man. I've been applying for like two years to any place that'll have me. It's not, it's not, it's not. It's not good outside, man. No one no hmm. one's hiring anything.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of hiring going around in in Portland, but we're being gentrified to death right now, so it goes yeah. with the territory.
2: The uh, the issue with San Antonio is it's one of the biggest, it's one of the most uh like populous cities in the country somehow it's like the seventh most but it's so fucking small there's no room for everybody so it's so claustrophobic and it's just it's like a bunch of lab a bunch of mice piling out of a box it's just there's too many of us and there's not enough jobs at all so i should be grateful i have this hotel job and i mean sometimes i am because it could be a lot more difficult but also when I'm at the when I'm at the job itself, I I hate my assistance, I hate the universe. I hate everything so much.
1: I think yeah, yeah a lot of jobs are that way. But not, I've never done one that I felt quite so much about as the hospitality industry. Waiting tables or doing room service or any of that work like that just was a fucking nightmare. I don't think anyone should
2: do customer mm. syllabus No. Home. 12 months but i do think everybody should do it for at least a couple months because it teaches you how to treat human beings
1: and it shows you what the underside of a piece of dog shit really looks like (laughs) yeah yeah which is yeah exactly that it teaches you how to respect human beings or if it doesn't you're not one yourself
2: yeah like you can you can learn a lot about someone by watching how they treat uh someone in customer service and usually those who treat them kindly have also had a similar job
0: yeah definitely like i've i've had my fair share of those jobs and like even now i don't interact with the customers but i do it work for you know kind of like a retail environment and some of the some of the interactions you see like people walk in there and they're such assholes (laughs) it's like why why would you think that's okay to treat people like that
2: i i don't know man Uh, a few days ago uh this didn't happen to me it happened to the guy who i was gonna relieve he was doing the three to eleven shifts and i come in and he's so mad because he just got done being yelled at by this guy basically he the the guest called the front desk because he couldn't uh, find what channel to put the baseball game on and the front desk agent was like okay I'll help you in just a second I'm in the process of checking in like seven different arrivals and he began screaming like fuck you come up right fucking now and help me so wild like the guest could uh, uh, could eavesdrop from the other side of the front desk because the voice was just coming through the phone so loud. It's like, how do you talk to someone like that? Well, something so fucking trivial. How do you treat a human being like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's just so depressing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Like, Although, something to to kind of ease it up and make it kind of funny is I'm sure you would appreciate this is uh, <clears throat> I had a cause I had somebody once I was in one of these stores where I worked at and um, the guy, the guy comes up to me, we used to punch in on one of their PCs up front and he wanted me to give him a haircut. He's like, what? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, excuse me, sir. He's like, do you know where, do you know where they keep the hair clippers? I'm like, oh, I'm with field services, not the store. And he's like, well, he's like, do you think you could give me a haircut? I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, I don't work here, I, you know. And he's like, oh, he's like, no, you don't understand what I'm asking you. He's like, if you had the time, do you think you could cut my hair? And I'm like, no, sir. No, I, I don't think I could. I was like, I have no formal training. And he's like, okay. And then it was like 30 minutes of just, you know, him asking me all kinds of weird, weird shit. Oh,
2: so that... God. You get those fucking people with the strangest requests sometimes, man. Uh, not too long ago, like a month ago maybe, it's about 2 a.m. And this dude walks into the lobby and... And he has, like, a plastic grocery bag, and he has uh, filled it up with uh, insects that he's dug up outside, and he keeps trying to ask me how many of those it would take to rent a room. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that's less funny and Mill. fucking terrifying especially because it was 2 a.m and i hadn't seen anyone all night and this fucking bug man comes in
1: it's uh, both terrifying and kind of sad at the same time
2: it was sad i mean i didn't like laugh at him like tell him to leave i uh what ended up happening i uh i gave him some apples and he was super thrilled because he said his bugs would love those and then he, he just left
1: <laughs> that's awesome know.
2: Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, That's something else. Like when you do like a job in hospitality, like with with hotels, you do see a lot of uh, mentally uh, distilled folks and homeless people. And it's difficult because there's not a lot you could do to help them, even though you want to. Like, uh, I mean, if someone comes in without a place to stay, usually I just I'll give them a blanket and let them hang out in the lobby until they want to leave. But I've gotten I've gotten shit on by management for doing stuff like that. I just that's another thing, man. You get these gas who assholes, but then you have to deal with management who will even rule somehow and they just have no fucking humanity, humanity to them. I don't know. Like, one time I gave some kids, uh, like, some bananas, people were obviously homeless, and I got fucking yelled at about it, and it doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I don't <laughs> understand. In that, in that industry, you know, literally called the hospitality industry, um, the people who run it for the most part are some of the most inhospitable motherfuckers I've ever worked for. I don't know. It's <laughs> fucking depressing. <laughs> money, we we I mean
2: we like we we strive so much to make money, and we're surrounded by people who do have money and the pieces of shit in the goddamn universe. The system that we have is set up to eat itself out from the inside out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: We all get into this nihilistic barrage of ranting.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> mean, me, you talk to me, that's what happens. First, we begin talking <laughs> about strange fetishes, and then by the end of it, we're just so
1: depressed. <laughs> eventually, we'll talk about
2: fetishes again. Probably.
1: It all started with a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, You're
2: it's... it's by a skunk. No. No fucking awful don't 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 as (laughs) sexy as you might think shane don't do it
1: um i live in oregon so i have actually uh been closer to that experience than a lot of people have because there are no shortage of fucking skunks in oregon too long ago we had a no it was a long time ago actually it was
2: probably a couple of years ago uh time makes no sense to me anymore uh it's just all one long night at this point but uh a few years ago a skunk must have sprayed into the hotel's vents because the fucking <laughs> building stunk so bad you will gag in the lobby
1: see that's one of those nights when you feel like god just walked by and said and fuck max just just like really right in the damn (laughs) vent
2: wait a minute max he hasn't had a bad time lately let's let's fix that (laughs)
1: exactly
0: (laughs) so max i figured a good question to end up and our uh conversation on is now that we've talked about a variety of different topics including dick spiders is there any topic you consider too taboo when you're writing?
2: Hmm, no, I don't. I don't think so, man. <laughs> I, I've been I've, I've I've been asked that question in the past, and I've, I've thought about it, and I can't think of anything I would just stray away from because I thought it was taboo, maybe uninteresting. But I tend to just do anything that I think is interesting, and if it's exciting to me, then I think it'll be exciting exciting to someone else a lot of my books they tend to uh take odd random uh tones into directions you might not expect especially like the nightly disease uh with a certain type of animal and a lot of that a lot of my books are planned like chapter by chapter by chapter sometimes i do a brief outline but as i'm writing sometimes i just get like into this frenzy mode and I just tried to constantly uh, surprise myself by taking the plot into directions I did not think was a good idea, maybe. (laughs) Um, Like, as an example, I'm doing this one book right now. It's not the uh, bathroom book. This is a crime novel. And I'm about halfway through it at the moment. And I've been stuck on it for a while because I felt it was getting kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe uninteresting, and I was falling out of love with it. But then I thought about a possible direction it could take, and I thought, well, no, no one, you can't write that because no one's going to like anything about this book. And just thinking that made me decide, well, now I have to do it.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Shane. I thought oh, no, I... go ahead. That was I didn't say anything at all. Actually, I was okay. trying not to cough there.
0: Yeah, no worries. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting, Max, too, that you said you were going to write something about crime because we always like kind of the mixture between horror and crime. But uh, I guess before we let you get out of here and get back to your night, is there anything else you'd like to share with uh-huh. our listeners? <clears throat>
2: no way! i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is your chance for plugs whether it be your podcasts or (laughs) let's see okay i have two podcasts i do castle rock radio which is a podcast about stephen king i have a podcast called ghoulish which is a i don't know what that podcast is about it's <laughs> i have no idea yet it's a random gulag of a uh, fucking random interviews and a uh, spooky vo- voices so i don't know uh, i just released a new book called the eight eyes that watch you die by wp johnson which i discussed already on this episode so i'm not gonna say anything else is out to go buy it we just released a brand new uh issue of dark moon digest it has a lot of spooky fiction from uh you know people who write spooky fiction and you can find info about both of those books by going to perpetualpublishing.com. Also, that page has info about Tales from the Crest, a book I probably wouldn't even recommend you read because <laughs> it's ruining publishing. Uh,
1: completely, utterly destroying publishing. You've done a fine job there.
2: Thank you. That's been my goal <laughs> the whole time. And uh, Touch the Night will be opening to pre old space sometime i don't know when but i think maybe possibly this month so keep an eye out on a cemetery dances website and uh Uh, oh one last thing we do a patreon patreon.com slash pmm publishing and we offer like ways to subscribe to the magazine we do a podcast on the patreon we do a behind the scenes stuff it's a it's a great way to support a indie small press
1: okay excellent um and i will make a point of dragging all those links you just mentioned together and putting them in our show notes as well so people can get at that stuff easy when they hear this um
2: good good luck doing that oh my god i just said so (laughs) many things
1: (laughs) yeah well rich writes the show notes so it's not gonna be that difficult (laughs) yeah yeah I'll, i'll I'll make sure I add all those
0: in there and Max it was great having you on here and uh yeah. hopefully after your
2: book comes out
0: with Cemetery Dance we can have you on again we had a blast I haven't laughed this hard in a while
2: awesome I'm I'm uh I'm glad to be a a light in a depressing universe <laughs>
1: you you are a glowing beacon
2: uh a nice thick spray of a uh, Skunk <laughs> fog.
1: Uh, yeah, goodbye, Mact. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <Take> care, <laughs> <Max>. <laughs>